It's Thursday, June 21st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, Jason Moser is back. Yes, sir. Thank you for being here. Always, I said this yesterday. Happy. I will say it again today. The news fairy is working overtime this week. <laughs> it's been a good week. Uh, it's, it's been a good week. We ought to have a uh, very, very uh, full episode of Motley Fool Money this week. Oh, yeah. We, yeah. we absolutely will. Um, <laughs> we're going to get to Intel CEO in a moment, and we've got some earnings uh, in the grocery industry. We've got to start across the river. Uh, in Washington, D.C., where the Supreme Court has ruled, in a close ruling, uh, that states may require uh, online retailers to collect billions of dollars in sales tax revenue. And the first thing I saw about this story when it broke um, had to do with uh, one of your favorite companies, Wayfair. And um, we'll, I mean, we'll get to the individual stocks in a second. Um, and let me just throw out as an aside. Uh, just one interesting thing when I was reading about this d- decision, it was a five to four decision, and uh, it's interesting to see who was in the majority because you basically had uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, arguably the most liberal judge on the bench, and um, uh, Justice uh, Alito and uh, Justice Thomas. Arguably, two of the most conservative members of the bench. Yeah. Anyway, that's those sort of coalitions are are interesting to me. They have nothing to do with investing. Let's get to the investing part here. Like, how bad is this for Wayfair? Because the first thing I saw on Twitter was like, "Man, Wayfair is tanking." And the vo- <laughs> and the tra- and it's not tanking. It is it has since bounced back up a little bit. The trading volume, though, very heavy for for Wayfair. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm glad you mentioned the. Five to four nature of the ruling because I saw that and I'm like, man, you know, it's just nothing like a compelling ruling, right? The yeah. majority rules, and it seems like they really were all in agreement there. And I mean, that's the one thing I just I hate about these types of rulings is a five four. You feel like at some point or another, there's going to be some political swagger in there trying to tilt the scales in another direction. But any which way you cut it, I think this is honestly the right call, and I think. That the biggest businesses out there today, the most important e-commerce companies out there today, foresaw this. I think they recognize it's it's ultimately the right thing, and they they've been planning for this accordingly. So whether it was Amazon or Wayfair or Etsy, um, these are all businesses that have been practicing uh, collecting taxes for for some time now. So that's why I think we're not seeing any big. Um, Hammering in the share price. You're right. Volume was a little bit crazy for for uh, for a few minutes after the decision was released. But all in all, I think you're going to see a headline or two pontificating the effects of this on Amazon or Wayfair, Etsy. And I think if you think this is something that affects Amazon negatively, I think you need to go back and rethink that. Uh, to me, I mean, if you remember, it's more than a year ago when Amazon started collecting sales tax in all 45 states that levy it. Um, with with inventory that was held by Amazon. Now they they have recently also been rolling that out on the third party side as well. So it's it's nothing new. I think it's just more or less finalized. And I think the thing ultimately is when we look at the commerce environment today, compared to the commerce environment that you and I grew up with. You and I grew up in an era where there just wasn't a lot of choice. If you wanted something, you had to go out and get it. Right today, there's a lot more choice, and consumers ultimately have a a more profound way to value their time. And I think that's what these businesses recognized so early on, 
in focusing not as much maybe on being the low-cost provider, but being a provider that offers a very wide selection and super convenience. And whether you're Amazon or Wayfair, and I think Etsy does the same thing, they've developed very good loyal followings because of that convenience, because of the selection. They're not always trying to be the low-cost provider. They're giving you a good price. But now, I mean, there's a lot more at stake for you to get in your car, go out and buy something. And so I think this is, I hate, I hate the word nothing burger, but I think that probably <laughs> applies here. So I'm going to go ahead and use it. But is it a little, I mean, where is Wayfair? Let's just drill down on Wayfair for just a second because they're still not profitable, yes? That's correct. I mean, Wayfair is still very much early in the stages of their development and the stock has really. Uh, been on a tear. I mean, I, I understand why. I mean, we are in that environment where this rising tide is lifting all boats, and I think the higher quality businesses are getting a little bit more favor. I think the market is looking at Wayfair, comparing it a little bit uh, to Amazon in, in sort of management's long term vision there. And, and when you look at all of the metrics that really matter for a company like Wayfair, whether it's sales or, or customers or items delivered, whatever, the, all of those metrics are heading the right direction as well. And, and they obviously participate in a huge market, right, in home, home goods and furnishing. Uh, so, yeah, the stock has, has done phenomenally well in a short period of time. They still have a lot of work to do to get to that profitable um, side of the business. And, and a lot of that is going to be pulling back on that SG&A spend at some point or another after they've really built out this brand identity. I think they're close to that here domestically. They're trying to pull the same thing off uh, internationally, and that's lagging a little bit behind, just as we saw with Amazon uh, years ago. I don't, I don't know that I'd be looking at Wayfair as a very profitable business in the near term, but I still think what management is doing is the right thing um, for the business for the long run. Intel CEO is out. Brian Krasanich has been Intel CEO for the past five years. He has resigned following an internal investigation that found uh, he violated the company's policy about fraternizing with direct reports. This applies to all managers. So, Krasanich has resigned. Robert Swan, who is Intel's CFO, is going to be the interim CEO while the company looks for a permanent replacement. Another interesting sort of very short-term look at Intel stock. Um, in the case of Wayfair, with the Supreme Court decision, you know there was the drop and then it bounced back up. It was the reverse with Intel. There was the headline. Intel stock was up initially. Now it's down about two percent, and maybe that's because investors looked at the run that the stock had. I mean, Krasanich was there for five years. The stock was up 125 percent while he was CEO. Not saying that he shouldn't have resigned, or that you know this this um, you know he sh- he shouldn't be out the door. Um, but he's done a good job with the company, and. I'm curious where this goes now because I think it's interesting that, and, and probably the right move for shareholders, that the board said, and I don't know Robert Swan at all. <laughs> I don't know, I'd never even heard Robert Swan's name before this morning. But it's probably a good move that they just said, we need you to keep this seat warm. We think this is a plum job, and we're going to go out and find someone. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I, I think Swan probably was looking at that and thinking, well, listen, this isn't really what I want to do, so I'm happy to kind of get in here and keep this uh, 
ship headed in the right direction, but let's let's try to find some, find someone to fill uh, Krasanek's shoes because you're right, he's leaving the company with a really good track record in his wake. So, I mean, if you're an Intel investor over any any of this period of time, I think you've got to be feeling kind of bummed about this, at least from an investor's perspective. Now. As you said, I mean, I'm not saying he shouldn't step down. I mean, it's clear that he made an error in judgment, and I think you have to be able to answer to that. And and so, stepping down, it sounds like it's in line with company policy, and it's probably the right thing to do, I assume. Um, but I mean, it's not like he's stepping down because he was a crappy CEO, right? I mean, he kind of maybe did a stupid thing, but he has five years where he really demonstrated uh, some some pretty good results there, and so. Uh, we were talking, you know, before before taping. You look at something like Microsoft, and right. for what was it? I think a decade, where Steve Ballmer essentially essentially demonstrated nothing for shareholders. Like that was just a big flat line, uh, and then all of a sudden, uh, you throw a new CEO in there who has a little bit of a better idea of kind of where the where the puck is going. And now Microsoft is making all of these investments in cloud computing and mobile, and these things are starting to pay off like they didn't before. So, Intel's not in a position where they need to necessarily find a Satya Nadella because they don't need to turn things around, but they need to find someone of that caliber to keep things going in the right direction. This is a huge company. It's one of the most important tech companies on the planet, I think. And I mean, when you're talking about a $250 billion market cap, it's not like you just jump in there and start running it. Thankfully, I think that whoever steps into that role is going to be able to step into a house that's in pretty good order, right? This isn't something that needs to be turned around. It's something that needs to be maintained. And from that perspective, I'd like to think they could probably attract a few good names. Hopefully, hopefully they can find a woman to take that position. I mean, I feel like the world would benefit from more female leaders. And I think this is a great opportunity. I'm not saying pick a woman for woman's sake. But for God's sake, get a couple on your radar because this is a great opportunity. So Nadella was the first person I saw. I thought of when I saw this news this morning, um, and uh, and I agree with you that Intel as a business is not where Microsoft was as a business when Bomber stepped down. Uh, certainly, the, that has been borne out by the stock performance. Um, but I, but I do. The reason I thought of Nadella was because I'm. I basically thought, okay, like Microsoft, here's this huge tech company that generates a ton of cash. Uh, are there new directions they can go in? I mean, that's that's really the brilliance of Satya Nadella at Microsoft. Um, Intel doesn't need a turnaround, but it does seem like this is an opportunity for a step in that direction. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you're right. I think you you have a company that is has has done a good job in in to use that old hockey analogy, skating to where the puck is going. I think that's why Intel has done well. They need to keep doing it. That's why Microsoft has done well under Nadella's watch. It's all about looking forward, seeing what's around that corner. And so, whatever they do, I mean, recognizing that they have a lot of capital at their disposal, um, they can continue to plow a lot of money into R&D to help sort of take technology to the next level, wherever that may be. I think Intel's going to be a big part of it. Um, as long as they can get a, a leader in there who's who's capable of maintaining the success that the company's realized to date, and also capable of of being forward looking enough to kind of see what's coming what's coming next, I think that's going to be really important. Kroger's first quarter profits came in higher than expected. Uh, stock up ten percent. It's a good day for Kroger. 
It's a good day for this grocery store. Let's go Krogering, right? That's the old. Uh, that's the commercial jingle, right? Is that the old commercial? It is. I grew up in a Kroger, uh, okay. Kroger part of town, and I'll tell you, that was a. We had a Kroger on one side of the road, and in Max beloved Publix on the other side of the road. We didn't have that in New England. Got to admit, <laughs> I probably favored Publix more than Kroger, but the Kroger was really nice. Not taking anything away from them, and and Kroger also owns Harris Teeter, which. Many, many moons ago, I actually held a job at a Harris Teeter, Chris. What were you doing there? Bagging groceries and ringing up the register. Nice. Pretty good at it, you know? Did you? I'm assuming you got faster over time at the bagging groceries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I got pretty good at it. You know, I mean, I understood. And I do, I think that really leads to my success today as a consumer because I do a lot of the grocery shopping because I do a lot of the cooking. So when I go into the store now, I very rarely go to the aisle where they're checking me out. I go to the kiosk where I can check myself out, because I can do it faster and I can bag it a bit more efficiently. And I'm not putting the canned tomatoes in with the eggs and loaf of bread. But your first week on the job? Oh, I was clueless. Okay, I was I, mean, I, I, was, I was lost. Yeah. You know, that's, that's one where you... It, it's it's all about learning not only what the not only what the customer wants but there is really there are good things right things to do and there are wrong things to do and, right. and I think I did all of the wrong things at least once but you learn from your mistakes right like that first week on the job where there were there any and don't worry we're gonna get to Kroger stock in a second don't worry hang in there <laughs> sure. people um, uh, but the the first week on the job were there any like oh no the, the bag is gonna rip like you know you like the person the experienced person on the on the staff is like no dude you gotta you gotta rebag that well Let's, there were certain Certain cases where you had to make sure you double bag. Don't even ask. Uh, that was that was way back before we had the opportunity to bring our own bags as consumers. So it was paper, plastic, and if you fail to ask that paper or plastic, well, you're just starting off on the wrong foot, <laughs> and it doesn't go anywhere but down from there. All right, let's get to the business at hand here. Here's a headline that that stunned, truly stunned me. Um, <laughs> online sales up 66 percent. Kroger has online sales. Sure. Like, like, is this the whole like Peapod delivery thing? That they have a partnership with. Is it Ocado? Peapod is, Peapod is giant. I Peapod guess. is giant, but but I think Kroger, along with with all of the other grocery concepts, Walmart doing the same thing. They're they're talking about internet sales. They're talking about order online, pick up at store. It's all of that. And, and I want to harken back to a year ago, because it was a year ago almost to the day we got word of the Amazon Whole Foods tie up. Remember, and we talked about in this very room. As all of the grocery stocks across the entire market were getting just hammered over that news, and Kroger, Kroger as well. I mean, there there were a lot of a lot of grocery stocks that were being left for dead that day, because the 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 bromide that was going around was, oh, this is a Kroger killer. Oh, this is a giant killer. Oh, this is a whatever killer. And and I said, go back and look at it. Listen back to the tape. I said, this is not. A Kroger killer, Chris. I said, there's no way. I said, this is just a great example of the knee-jerk reaction that could create opportunities for investors. And yes, I think Amazon's move to buy Whole Foods was disruptive. I think it sent a lot of folks in the space into a bit of a tizzy, trying to figure out, oh my God, what are we going to do to keep up with these guys now? But fast forward to a year later, and Kroger is a good example of a business that has done a lot to keep up with um, sort of the evolution of the grocery space. And that 66% digital sales number that you mentioned is, is a an example of that. And, and so, they're continuing to focus on, on e-commerce, whether it's delivery or pickup at store, uh, meal, meal kits, incorporating more of that into their model. Obviously, they have Harris Teeter as sort of a Maybe a step up from from the Kroger concept. It's a smaller concept, obviously, but and they also unloaded a, a convenience concept that was uh, probably a little bit of an anchor on the financials as well. 
So I think you get back to to sort of looking at this as a business when we talk about grocery stores. I think Kroger is one of the better operators, financially fit, able to grow that top line, maintain some profitability. I think the downside is when you look at grocery stores, they are so low margin and they're so cost competitive. From an investor's perspective, it's just not the most attractive thing to be investing in, which is why I probably wouldn't. Now, that said, if you bought Kroger on that dip a year ago after the Whole Foods deal, you're feeling pretty good about that today. You've made a little bit of money. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because it does seem that for all the things that Kroger is doing right, and again, it's a good day today for shareholders. I'm not saying that this is the consumer staples industry in terms of unattractiveness for investors, but it does seem like groceries is. If you're looking at the grocery industry, you you may want to widen your gaze in terms of industries that you're looking for stocks. I think so. I think groceries. You know, on the one hand, I mean, we all need groceries, right? The the model for the repeat sales is just there, and Kroger has a good loyalty program, and they have a you know a different brand beyond just Kroger and everything. But it's so cost competitive and so service competitive. That's where you differentiate, and in order to do that, it costs money. And you see these low margins. It's going to be very difficult to overcome that. On the flip side, you see something like an Amazon or a Costco, even where they're in the same business essentially, but they've got a nice membership model tied to it. And and I think that membership model creates a more loyal following over longer periods of time. And I think that's why you see. Stocks like Amazon and Costco have done so well for so long is because they've been operating under that model. All right, before we wrap up, it's June 21st. It is the official start of summer. Today is the official start. Today's the official okay. start of summer. Um, yeah, the whole summer solstice, longest yeah, day just... of the year kind of thing. Isn't today the longest day? I'm pretty sure it is. It's the know, official every, start of summer. Every day feels really long. <laughs> every day feels really um, long. What, let's close out with a grilling tip. A tip. It could be a tip. It could be a recipe. I may actually be hitting you up for advice. You and Ron. I may need a new grill at some point because uh, my, my grill is getting up there in years. Yeah, mine too. You know, and I've I've got some friends who have big green eggs, and I've pondered maybe getting one of those. But man, they're a lot of work, and in you just you really have to learn how to use it. I'm not sure if it's going to be the best thing for me, but we'll save I, that for another day. I guess. I, yeah, no. To me, the big green egg for me personally, the big green egg that's something that I, I could see doing in like ten years. Yeah, like when the when like, you have more time. When I have more time, when the kids are out of the house, it's like all right, yeah, I don't really have anything to do. I'm going to speak. Here's what I'm going to do all weekend. I'm just going to slow grill this, you know, rack of ribs or something. I don't know. Yeah, ribs. There you go. Got my attention. Um, okay, I'm going to I'm going to give you two. I'm going to give everybody. Two tips here. Um, first, because I think a lot of people they think summer, they think grill, and they think, all right, let's throw a steak on the grill. Now, I have come to find that I don't like grilling my steaks. I like cooking my steaks in the kitchen on a cast iron skillet under the broiler in the oven, just like you would get at any of those high dollar steakhouses. Broiling a steak to me is just far better. You're able to get that sear on the top of the crust and all of that good stuff. So don't fall into the trap of just grilling your steak. Try learning how to how to broil it. I think you'd be very surprised at the results there. Now, to the grilling tip, I have a recipe that I've had for I guess probably a year now um, for Thai chicken tacos. Okay, now I got this recipe online. I think it actually came from Rachel Ray's website, but I, I tried it out once at home, and it knocked 
the socks off of everyone in my family. And, and any time you find something that your wife and your kids are all on board with, then you keep that recipe in the rotation. Oh, yeah. And so, I mean, this is a great recipe where you, you marinate the chicken thighs and then you, you grill the chicken thighs. That's one of the keys is you have to grill the chicken. But then all of the accoutrement that come with the tacos, it's, it's got, you've got the crunchy of the radish and you've got this slaw. And oh man, it's just the recipe is knock, knock your socks off good, a great peanut sauce to go uh, with it. And I'm assuming I could just take this recipe. We could tweet it out on the market foolery feed later. Absolutely. Assuming anybody wants to give it a whirl. Yes. It's, we, we, the degree of difficulty is not that high. I mean, I, I, I contend that if I can do it, anybody can do it. So. Um, don't be intimidated. It seems like it's a lot, but it's actually pretty easy, and it's very tasty. By the way, speaking of the Market Foolery Twitter feed, just this week crossed the ten thousand mark in Hey-o! terms of followers. So thank you to uh, to the folks who follow us on Indeed. on Twitter. So uh, Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday.